Welcome to Sleepover Cinema, where we analyze the films that created the collective unconscious of those who have <clears throat> got to keep their minds wide open. I had to do it. Audrey, you put it in all caps. I'm Hannah Leach, a writer, musician, audio producer, and woman who knows full well that Zoe Deschanel is a bringer of bad vibes. <laughs> And I'm Audrey Leach, director, editor, producer, and baby Bailey Madison Stan. <laughs> we are the sister duo, also known as Tooping Productions, and we haven't stopped thinking about these movies since we first saw them. We're going to explore the good, the bad, and the nonsensical of the movies that first inspired our love for film in an attempt to answer the question, are these movies actually good? And at the end of the day, do we really care if they are? Today we are talking about 2007's Bridge to Terabithia. Race to the end of the road. On your mark, set, go! Just close your eyes. You'll keep your mind wide open. Hello, everybody. Um, Audrey and I, Audrey and I have had some spicy past few days independently. So as you all may remember, I've been producing this show called Living for We. And it's the one about black women and livability in Cleveland. And we had a live podcast event over the weekend. And it was so fun, so intense. There were like over 100 people there. And it ended up being very much like me on a panel and talking a lot, which I I didn't know if that was going to happen for sure, but it did. And it was really fun and it was really cool to like witness all these people that have been so touched by this podcast of all things. And it was just really moving and really fun, but really exhausting. It was like being on nonstop for like a lot of hours all at once, but it was really cool. And it was a career highlight for sure. So, um, nice. I have not had a rest day since then though, really. So after this, I'm catching up on succession and making dinner. Nice. What about you? Um, I'm extremely jet lagged because I went to LA last mm -hmm. week just to visit because I don't even think I've said it. Well, I don't think I have said it on the podcast, but I am going to be moving there to LA in the summer. So Ooh. I went, I stayed with my friend Nikta and I went with Hunter and it was really nice. It was very pleasant. The weather, it wasn't that hot, which was nice, but I feel like I did get tanner <laughs> for me. Ooh. <laughs> which is not saying much. And I was realizing how much I'm going to have to up my sunscreen game, like, you know, in terms of like the everyday, like su sunscreen that doesn't feel gross element. Yes. Yeah. I have good recommendations for that. I have two that I really like that are like that. So I will hook you up if you would want to know. I think I already own the Glossier one. So I will probably use that. That is not the one okay. that I would tell you about, but we can take that offline. Question for the culture. The culture is super sick right now. It's actually really bad, period. Okay, so I saw a TikTok about this earlier, which is what made me think about it. As we know, a lot of the TV shows from our childhood depict girl-girl-boy trio friendships, like That's So Raven, Hannah Montana, Lizzie McGuire, mm -hmm. etc. There's a lot of them, if you think about it. And the girl in the TikTok was saying that this is not a thing in real life unless... The guy, and this is in, this is particularly in a straight guy situation. So she was like, this isn't real because unless the guy has a crush on one of the girls or is dating one of the girls, this type of friendship group tends to not thrive. Like there has, there's almost always like a romantic motive behind it. And that is a 
a storyline that they do lean into. Oh, iCarly is another one. They do it in iCarly. Yes. They do it in Lizzie McGuire. They they do it in Hannah Wants Hannah. I think that's what Raven is. Do do Chelsea and they do they it. They do okay. They do it and that's so, so Raven. Yeah. Yeah. So they do it in all these shows, but it, initially the guy is just a friend to these girls, <laughs> um, which. Yeah. I think it's kind of great to exist in general, but what I, my point of view is that the character is only there so boys will watch the show or that there will be a slightly higher chance that boys would watch the show. What do you think about that? Yes. I feel like that is true. I also feel like it is just a seed to later have a romance plot line. Yeah. I think it's also, I mean, it's what you're saying. It's like, if it's just two girl besties, it becomes a girly girl show. This is the same thing in, um, oh, no, no, no. Ned's Declassified has two boys and a girl. Unfabulous. Two girls, one boy. I think it's fully for future relationship seeds. I am like desperately trying to rack my brain for any example of this in real life that I have witnessed. I literally can't think of one. <laughs> Okay, Josh always talks about when he was a kid, he had two girl best friends and that they were a trio. I was not there. <sighs> he never hooked up with either of them at any point. So there's <sighs> that. But I have yet to witness it with my own eyes as far as I can recall. No, and, and if there are, if there is a quality friendship between and non-romantic between a straight guy and a girl, there's usually more than one guy. So yes. it'll be like a friend group. Think Zoe 101, like Victorious. You've got a group. Victorious. It has yeah. to be, yeah, like I can't think of any real life examples of it. Mm, I mean, we also don't know that many straight boys. So that's part of the issue here. <laughs> okay, so Bridge to Terabithia. I'm excited to talk about this movie. I don't think I ever, like, I would always forget about it. It kind of slips through the cracks, but I watched it somewhat recently and I had a crazy mm -hmm. emotional experience. Who's <laughs> surprised? <laughs> anyway, <laughs> um, let's get into the facts. So Bridge to Terabithia okay. was released on February 16th, 2007, two days after Valentine's Day. What an amazing wow. marketing decision. Um, it was rated <laughs> PG. Uh, it was directed by Gabor Supo. I don't know how to say his name. I'm going to guess. I, I think that's Gabor good. Gabor Supo. And he is clearly a genius because he executive produced As Told by Ginger and All Grown Up and Wild Thornberries and Rugrats and yeah. all that stuff. And that's pretty much the bulk of his career. But he did direct this movie and a few others. But I mean, I'm kind of mm -hmm. here for his directing. I kind of like it. Yeah. Um, yes. A talent. Yes. And then the screenplay was written by Jeff Stockwell, who also wrote the adaptation of A Wrinkle in Time, The Ottoman Lieutenant, and Ivy and Bean, whatever that is. And then <laughs> this is kind of interesting. So the other, the co-writer of the screenplay is David Patterson, who is the son of the woman, Catherine Patterson, who wrote the book Bridge to Terabithia. Oh, so, okay. And what I what I realized when I was looking at David Patterson's IMDb is that this is what he does. He is known for producing the adaptations of his mother's books, which is like one of the more productive Nepo baby situations I've ever heard of. I mean, it makes sense. A lot of authors don't actually care about the film business and they don't really know about it. So to have a son that, that is, true. is interested in that, it's like, who would you trust to adapt it? Of course, she trusts her son because she can have a yeah. say in that. Yes. So as far as Katherine Patterson's books, though, she's known for Bridge to Terabithia, Liddy, The Great Gilly Hopkins, and Jacob Have I Loved. Not familiar with those. Me either. Okay, synopses. All right, so IMDb says, a preteen's life turns upside down when he befriends the new girl in school and they imagine a whole new fantasy world to escape reality. And now the next one. 
And now we have Letterboxd. Jesse Aarons trained all summer to become the fastest runner in school. So he's very upset when newcomer Leslie Burke outran him and everyone else. Despite this and other differences, including that she's rich, he's (laughs) poor, and she's a city girl, he's a country boy. The two become fast friends. Together, they create Terabithia, a land of monsters, trolls, ogres, and giants, and rule as king and queen. The way they're trying to lean into this Romeo and Juliet thing is interesting. That did not strike me, but you know, that's okay. And now, Rotten Tomatoes. The life of Jesse, an adolescent, changes when he befriends Leslie, the class outsider. The children create an imaginary world called Terabithia, which is inhabited by all manner of magical creatures. Though difficulties fill their ordinary lives, Jesse and Leslie rule as king and queen in Terabithia. Soon, one of the friends must draw on strength of their imaginary kingdom to cope with a tragedy. <laughs> really left. They don't. Yeah, they don't reveal spoiler it. Spoiler free. <laughs> yeah. Okay, taglines. We've got three. The first one is discover a place that will never leave you and a friendship that will change you forever. (laughs) The second one is the beloved novel comes to life. And the third one is close your eyes, but keep your mind wide open. (laughs) They really in this movie do say keep your mind wide open (laughs) a lot. lot. And I'm not sure if that's a quote from the book or if oh, they just decided that that was going to be a thing. It literally okay, has. To I'm be. glad. Okay, cast. I'm only listing five of them. <laughs> These are the main characters, anyway. First person, yes. Josh Hutcherson as Jess Aaron's. He is known as Peta Malark in The Hunger Games. Let's be real. Everybody else, every other character, kind of irrelevant. Hotel for Dogs, RV, and he was a voice in Howl's Moving Castle, which I. Did not realize. Oh, I know who he is. Who? He's the little boy. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, He's got a really cute presence. Like, I get it why they would use him. Um, But yeah, Yeah. he's been in a ton of things. That's him. He seems like a very wholesome person. (laughs) Um, But who knows? And then Anna Sophia Robb as Leslie Burke. Known for this movie, The Way Way Back, The Carrie Diaries, Soul Surfer, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, Because of Winn-Dixie. Love. And also known for being in exercise classes in the greater Williamsburg, Brooklyn area. (laughs) (laughs) Zoe Deschanel as Miss Edmonds, also known as the creepiest teacher of all time. (laughs) Yeah. We'll talk about that later. She's known for New Girl, 500 Days of Summer, Trolls, and The Happening. And Elf. And Elf. Lest we forget. Not actually in her top. That's interesting. Um, Robert Patrick as Jack Aarons. He's in Terminator 2 and The Faculty and a lot of random things. He looks like a very gruff man. So Terminator makes sense. Yes. Finally, the cutest version of Bailey Madison ever captured on film as Maybelle Aarons. She's known for this movie, Just Go With It, Don't Be Afraid of the Dark. And she's in the new Pretty Little Liars HBO reboot thing. So the budget for this movie, let's see if she can read numbers today, was $17 million. When the movie opened, it earned $22,564,612 in 3,139 theaters. And worldwide, this movie has earned $137,587,063. I'm kind of surprised by that. Well, the book is a global phenomenon, apparently. But like, damn, (laughs) it must be like, it must hit really well in other languages. To me, it falls into the like, the giver where the red fern grows category. Yes. Everybody reads it. It doesn't matter who you are, or at least is exposed to it in some form, because there are just some key childhood tragic movies that most kids are exposed to. And I feel like this story, it kind of falls into that. Critic and audience opinions. The critic score was 85%. And the critical consensus is, Bridge to Terabithia is a faithful adaptation of a beloved children's novel and a powerful portrayal of love, loss, and imagination through children's eyes. All right. Um, Critic opinions. I got this quote from the original New York Times review. 
beautifully capturing a time when a bully in school can loom as large as a troll in a nightmare and the encouragement of a teacher can alter the course of a life. Oh, yeah, that's saying something. <laughs> Brigitte Br- <laughs> Terabithia keeps the fantasy in the background to find magic in the everyday. And then from Rotten Tomatoes, the special effects suggest a Narnia-like romp, but the movie has a darker, more sorrowful landscape to explore. And it does so brilliantly with true nuance and heartfelt sincerity. All right. All right. Okay. I accept those. (laughs) I'm like, it's funny. We haven't talked about this at all yet. So I have no idea if you're about to shit on this movie really hard. And it's funny. (laughs) I'll save it. I'll save it then. I'll save it for the second half. (laughs) Yeah, we've both been so busy that we have barely communicated about Sleepover, honestly. I have no idea what you think of this movie at all. Yeah, well, obviously it makes you emotional, but also (laughs) it's not a particularly high bar to clear in this current (laughs) era of your life. (laughs) Okay, on to my favorite, Common Sense Media. Parents need to know that this movie, based on Katherine Patterson's classic children's novel, isn't a fantasy adventure as much as it is a thoughtful drama. The story includes mature themes about loneliness, platonic love, parental affection, family relationships, religious-slash-class differences, and even death. For example, a financially troubled father is emotionally distant from his son, while the mother seems too overwhelmed with five kids to connect to any of them. At school, kids are ridiculed because of their appearance, and a bully and her associates routinely terrorize (laughs) younger kids associates Um, associates and then potential spoiler alert due to a central character's death sensitive children audrey or those who've experienced (laughs) the loss of a loved one may need to be comforted after the film that's a really cute way to explain it So the audience score was 70% and the letterboxed average star rating is 3.6 stars. So very much like on the B minus C plus type of, like that's kind of what I get. And then some audience opinions from Letterboxd. The first one is, I love how the teacher just took Jess to a museum on a weekend without any consent forms and just picked him up outside his house. Where's the health and safety people? (laughs) (laughs) Second one is, maybe if they didn't swing on that rope like 20 times at the beginning, Miss Leslie Burke would still be alive. Spoiler (laughs) alert. And I wouldn't be crying because of yet another kid's movie. And the last one is, one of the most beautiful portrayals of a child's imagination ever put to screen with two fantastic central performances tragic and majestic in equal measure this is what a great children's film not to mention a poignant and heartfelt coming-of-age film truly looks like (laughs) girl i wish you guys could see my face some of you can (laughs) some of you may speaking of which i got a haircut that's like slightly too short for my life and it's making me a little insecure but it's doing what it needs to do i guess okay It'll be over soon enough, you know. I know. I was photographed so much this weekend, but I think I made it work because I had giant sleeves. Cultural context. This novel's content has been the frequent target of censors. Unsure how they could possibly make a censored version of this. Maybe if she just moved (laughs) away really suddenly. (laughs) Well, okay, but I don't know if it's censored because of the death or if it's censored because of the religion or why oh yeah because there is that part where they're like hell isn't real yeah I think it might be more to do with the religious stuff than her probably (laughs) that actually did occur to me while I was listening to it I was like damn I guess this isn't a Disney or uh or Nickelodeon product, even though we did watch it on Disney+. Plus, Bridget Terabithia ranks number eight on the American Library Association list of the most commonly challenged books in the United States for 1990 through 1999. So weird. It was also on the American Library Association list for 2000 to 2009, ranking number 28. And then lastly, so a lot of the issues that people took with this book came from the death being a part of the plot, Jesse's frequent use of the word Lord outside of prayer, (laughs) allegations that it promotes secular humanism, huh? New Age religion, occultism, and Satanism, and for use of offensive language. That seems like such an extreme reach to me. Yeah. Like what? It is. But, That's you know, really the book weird. might, the book, it probably has more in it that could raise the censor than the movie does. Yeah, sure. probably. I would believe that. When did we first watch What Do We Remember? 
I know for a fact that I believe my fifth grade teacher read this book out loud to the class. And um, that's cute. Yeah, I think that that's true. And I remember being like really surprised by the fact that she died, <laughs> but but not in like a oh no kind of way, kind of in like a what? Oh, shit. <laughs> yeah. Also, I always thought the fact that her name was Leslie was weird because I don't really like the name Leslie. Yeah, Sorry I don't to either. any Leslies out there. But I don't remember when I saw the movie for the first time. Me either. I it's like one of those things where I definitely saw it roughly when it came out, maybe within the first year or two. Yeah. But I don't I don't have like a deep-seated love for this movie, but when I have revisited it, I'm always impressed by certain elements of it. So yeah. we will talk about that in the second half. I will also say that I watched this movie while curling hair extensions. And I haven't done that in a really long time. And it was very soothing to my soul. Yeah. This movie is easy to watch. Yes, it is. I, until the, until a certain point, maybe. But like it is yeah. for the, the most of it, it is. Yeah. <laughs> Other than that, I feel like that's kind of all I got. I think the second half will be... Interesting. I feel like there's a lot of good topics in there. Okay. Well, then uh, head over to Disney Plus and give it a watch and meet us back here. BRB. Greetings from Evergreen Podcasts. We're rolling out a listener survey and we want to hear from you. The information in the survey will help us gather statistics and in turn make our shows more appealing to advertisers. I know most people don't like ads, but this is one of the only ways our shows make money and help keep their lights on. We promise it will only take a few minutes, but the impact on our podcasts will be tremendous. As a token of our appreciation, we'll randomly select one lucky participant each month to win an exclusive merchandise package from Evergreen Podcasts. Head to evergreenpodcast.com slash listener survey to help a show and possibly get some free stuff for doing so. We can't thank you enough for the support. Now back to the show. We are back to talk about Bridge to Terabithia, a highly emotional roller coaster. <laughs> yeah, I finished the movie this morning, and as I said, I'm very jet lagged. And so when I when my alarm went off this morning, I knew I had to finish this movie, and I was like, "Oh God!" Like the the death had not occurred yet, and I was like, "I'm oh, just no. not in the emotional state." So I thought I was just going to start watching it, and I was going to be like stone cold. Yeah. I thought I was just going to be laying there like half asleep, like, okay, okay. But literally, immediately, I'm not even on. I'm Hormonally, things should be fine right now, but they're not. Yeah, it actually, it kind of took this succession approach where you don't see the death. You just find out oh, about the death. Yes, off screen death. Yeah, which I think is a good call for a children's movie. <clears throat> you don't want to traumatize them too much by yeah. seeing it. And it also reflects, since Josh Hutcherson is the protagonist, it reflects like his experience of having gone and then it happening while he's gone. So I think that is a decision that makes sense. Yeah, um, I think that's how it happens in the book too. But this is where I want to start it. Like, All so right. I think a lot of people and like the general feeling around this movie is kind of like, they're giving such like reverence to ch children's emotions, sort of again, like a Mr. Rogers thing, a, a Hayao Miyazaki thing where it's like not talking down to kids and it's like heightening their emotions and taking them seriously instead of like belittling or just not even talking about it. But I want to know how, like, how do you perceive that strategy? in this movie? Like, is it working for you? Do you? Does it strike you as earnest or does it strike you as like, 
weird because like the Janice plotline is very, is probably like the main thing in the movie that makes me feel weird as opposed to everything else. I wrote down about Janice that the entire time I'm expecting her to call Josh Hutcherson the F slur. Like, it always feels like yeah. she's this close to saying it. Um, I think that I would place this more into the honoring children's emotions category if Josh Hutcherson, like, displayed more emotion. Like, I know he's, like supposed to be stoic and kind of like emotionally stunted and stuff but which I I think he does a pretty decent job of portraying because as a child that it that would be very hard to portray uh, it's like yeah I'm a child actor but you want me to be kind of internal uh, it's like more, more of a nuanced like ask of a child yeah so I think he did a pretty good job but like <laughs> the Janice part, the fact that the the make-believe giant is a giant of Janice, like well, that's strange. Supposed, that's supposed to be Janice, and I feel like that might come through better in the book. Like it might just feel less weird in the book. It was it's really goofy in the movie. But I'm pretty sure that the book like doesn't have that shit. It, like, doesn't even have, like, creatures, per se, in the no. same way. No. Like, I'm pretty certain that they might, like, reference some of the stuff. But, like, yeah. all those action sequences are, like, extremely written for the yeah. movie. Yeah. And that, yeah, you wouldn't you wouldn't really write in that way in, like, yeah, that would in be a weird. book. I kind of love Janice. She reminds me of um, Busy Phillips and Freaks and Geeks a little bit. Yeah, I could see that. Oh, yeah, when... You know how she stands outside the bathroom and is like, you have to give us money to use the bathroom, yeah. whatever. Yeah. When when Bailey Madison <laughs> like runs over to her brother and she's like, she stole my Twinkies. It's like, <laughs> it's like really yeah. funny and cute and sad at the same time. There's also like a chunk of this movie that's like really preoccupied with pee. Yeah. <laughs> Like, yeah. I think that there's something with, like, children and teenagers and, like, pee that is particularly funny. Like, I don't know, yeah. but I was preoccupied with that. We've got this scene where Leslie goes to church with Jess's family. She has never been to church before, and she's got this, like, weird attitude at church. Like, she's, like, very reverent about it. She notices this, like, light coming through the stained glass window. She opens her purse, and the blue light goes into her purse. And it's, yes. like, as though she was capturing and, like, taking the light with her. And that is something that, like, a kid might think. But, like, yeah. I don't know. They're, like, a little old for that sort of thing. But, well, like... We also have not yet acknowledged that, like... She's weird. <laughs> She's weird. Like, Leslie, I will say, like, she could be a lot worse. Um, yeah, a but, lot worse. But in terms of wearing, like, knee-high Converse and stuff, <laughs> like, when she, I wrote down her shoes. A, yeah. Well, she literally is Aaron. also. Are she his cousin That is Aaron, true. That is totally true. Not as much in like necessarily her whole personality but like that the style was like right yes. on point yes it was very emblematic of a particular era of Aaron's yeah fashion evolution I definitely agree I also it reminded me a lot of Stargirl too I was gonna say that I was literally yeah. gonna bring up Stargirl yeah it's very like Boring straight guy is changed by quirky girl. Perks of being a wallflower. It's perks being a wallflower. It's also like eternal sunshine of this father's mind. Like it, it goes on forever. It's a trope. It goes into adulthood, but this is like one of the child examples of it. It's the manic pixie dream baby. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> but I will say that she is not like, he he, I'm different. At all. No. She just is that way, but she isn't like, look at me, I'm different. Yeah. You know? It's, it's just like really hilarious to have like the baby version of that character and then also have Zoe Deschanel in your movie at the same yep. time. Yep. Because they were even, they even like dressed the same. They had her, they had her also in like a knee high, like weird proportion clothes. Like, 
stuff like that. It felt like the grown-up version in a way. The Zoe Deschanel casting to me was so extremely like Paul Rudd in Perks of Being a Wallflower as the teacher-ish. Like it felt a lot like that to me. But to the close point... I'm pretty sure that this book is like set in the 70s or like the 80s. But in this movie, they make one reference to devices like electronic devices. But then the rest of it could be set in that time period. No questions asked. And so I thought that that was a little strange. Yeah, they tend to just update it. For marketing purposes. That's usually why. The only thing that they updated was just saying no devices in class. But the rest of it. I just mean, I just mean visually. Like, like they're dressed for current. Yeah, I guess. I get it. I mean, if, if it's that timeless, there's no reason not to make it present day. If you're trying to appeal to current children. Yeah, I guess that's true. But anyway, yeah, so she captures light in her purse. Yes. And then they're sitting in the back of the pickup truck on the way home, having the craziest convo. Like, baby Bailey Madison is like, if you don't believe, she says, God damns you to hell if you don't believe in the Bible. Yeah. (laughs) And she's like, you're scared. You're scared because you believe in it. And I don't believe in it. So I think it's beautiful. I'm like, wait, what? (laughs) What are you talking about? (laughs) She's like, I can pick and choose. So I think it's fine. Yeah. She's like, you all are God-fearing. So you're scared. I'm not. (laughs) (laughs) Again, Uh, she's just different. Yeah. And she's got this whole like um, professor or like writer parents thing going on. It's very much like liberal parent, liberal household versus conservative household thing going on, which I I don't hate. I can't believe that I'm about to say this, but they seem like they, I can't believe I'm about to say this. They seem like they should be lesbians. Who? What is the guy's name? What is the name? What is Josh Hutcherson's character's name? (laughs) Jess? I feel like Jess was spoke like Jess Jess should be a girl. Something yeah, about his vibe. Today. Something <laughs> about his today. vibe and the way and like Leslie's vibe. I'm like, they just well, seem her like name's lesbians. Leslie. Her name is Leslie. <laughs> it was we're too saying suggestive. that's a definitive lesbian name. No, just there's just something about the way he is in this movie. I'm just like, you seem like a little lesbian. I don't know. Like a good little person? Is that why? <laughs> no, like it's like the emotional. It's like he is deeply emotional, but like keeping it in all the time because he doesn't want to be like himself. I can't believe that I'm even saying this, but I I just wrote it down. It just seemed gay to me. I I'm think, sorry. I think... That there is a large, okay, there just definitely are little boys who are really introverted and have similar mental states. That's all I'm going to say. Show me one of them. I feel like, I mean, do they have to be gay? Like, what do you? Yes, they all are required by law to be gay. <laughs> like, I just, I buy Josh Hutcherson no, I'm, I'm as I'm talking that. just conceptually, it just feels like that to me. Well, what it was written by a woman, so. Yeah. There's that. But maybe she had a son and she wanted her son to be a lesbian. Feel that he could be internally complex. Okay. <laughs> maybe, yes. I think that is possible. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, one more thing. It's not a love story anyway. Well, I know, and that's why I, it feels kind of gay to me. I can't explain it. Stop trying to get me to explain it. I feel like other people will get what I'm saying. It just feels that way. It's not that I don't get what you're saying. It's that I guess it just doesn't seem, it didn't like hit me in the head. It wasn't like something super obvious. Like, oh, this, this should have been this way. But I I get what you're saying. It was just just a vibe. Yeah. Yeah. You're like, boo. (laughs) What I want to say is, I thought it was really funny the way that the um, the music class sequences were so aggressively used as like mood representations. But my favorite example is after he gets yelled at by his dad, I think. It's like the most, 
the most like he's sitting there just like being emo in music class, but it's like not played for comedy at all. It's like extremely serious. And I did find that to be like a little funny. I guess it do be like that, though. <laughs> I mean, that is that is true. That is true. <laughs> like it always it is funny in retrospect, but yeah. <laughs> Okay, so when he's all mad, when Jess is mad because of the key incident where, like, his dad's keys go missing, and then he's, like, being bitchy, and then he, like, won't be nice to Leslie for a second. Yes. And she goes, you better not let the Terabithians hear you. They thought you were their king. (laughs) I mean, there's the way that she delivers lines where she's very, like... Don't let them hear you. <laughs> like, she has some unsettling vibes at times. It's really scary. And then he goes home and just reflects on that. And then it, like, replays in his head. And he's like, they thought they, they thought you were their king. <laughs> it's so funny. <laughs> like, he's we, haunted by this. He And that's before she even dies. He's already yeah. haunted. He's preoccupied. So we haven't talked about... When this movie kind of flies off the rails for a second, which is when you're asked out by your teacher and then you go (laughs) with your teacher on a date. Yeah. And like, literally, she did. She didn't treat him like a student. Like she didn't. No, it's not that she did anything particularly horrible. She just like was giving him eyes. I was like, stop giving him eyes, please. I know. Well, and the fact that like he didn't bring Leslie. It was because to him. It was a date. Yeah. Like he like, and the fact that he verbally admits that later, he's like, I didn't ask her because I didn't want to bring her. And, and it's like, I like, yeah, he definitely did have a crush on the teacher and he definitely did just want it to be special for him. But it's like, yeah, Jesus, like, shouldn't she have known she if she if she is able to just roll up on this kid's house, she that means she has the class directory and she knows where (laughs) Leslie lives and you should have looked and you should have seen who else was in the area and you should have asked them too because that is suspicious as fuck. I mean, it's the situation where like if the gender was reversed, it would be like a huge point of discussion. It's really weird. I mean, literally, you could write a conspiracy about this of like... (laughs) You could. She's stealing Jess from Leslie. She sent a murderer into the woods. (laughs) It's symbolic. Yeah. Like the death of Leslie is symbolic because his innocence was destroyed by Zoe Deschanel. Yeah. But literally, I mean, here's the thing. This is hard to say, I guess, Uh, but... okay. I mean, if if I'm being real, it kind of is his fault. It's not his fault that the thing snapped. It's not his fault that she fell the way she did. None of that is his fault. But had he been there, would it have happened? Maybe, probably not. And that's that. <laughs> You're not wrong. I but mean, also the it's like survivor's uh, guilt, and that is what's so messed up about it. Yeah, it's like no nobody's ever going to tell a child, yeah, it's your fault. Like, obviously, when his dad finally decides, his best friend has to die for his father to give him any ounce of emotional care. Some or, grace. like, physical touch. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so, finally, he's, like, sobbing in his dad's arms. And, of course, his dad's not going to be like, yeah, it actually is your fault. <laughs> Like, like, son, you killed your girlfriend. But, like, even if the thing snapped and she fell the same way, he would have been there to to get help. So, like, I don't know. I kind of think it is. It is, like, an extremely grim way for her to die, but at least it wasn't, like... Like, depression. He left me... Right, right. Like, he left me for the teacher, so I... Yeah, like she wasn't emotionally distraught by that choice. She didn't even know about it. But but it does leave you. She did know that he wasn't there. So like she might have been emotionally distraught, but she didn't know the details. Um, Because no one knew the details. Yeah, that his mom was like too asleep to even know what he was going to go do. I feel like that mom feels too bad for herself. Yeah, that mom, I I kind of was thinking she must be an alcoholic or something because there's yeah. like no 
it's just odd how she's acting is. I mean, that family is like demonic. Yeah. <laughs> like ruthlessly. <laughs> like the older, literally the older sisters are like spawns of Satan. Like what I is know. going on with them? I, I know teenagers are bitchy, but like. They're not they like that. Evil. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I know a lot of teenagers and no. Did you notice the diegetic use of keep your mind wide open? Yes, of course I did. <laughs> Crackling through the radio. Yes. I was like, guys, you cannot put Anna Sophia Robb's singing voice in this movie <laughs> diegetically. Like that is crazy. I mean, they fully did it and they put it in the most like random scene ever. I'm so happy for us <laughs> that we found a way to bring up Keep Your Mind Wide Open again on this podcast. It's iconic. We'll have to sing that All at the, the end. Passive. Oh, shit. Yeah, you're right. I'll save it. I'll save it. Oh, yeah. I didn't really finish the tangent about God's light thing. Oh, so please. So they're back in the forest in, in one of their little imaginary... Romps. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. Their imaginary romps. And... And they're like, oh, shit, the, the little thingy is, like, up in the tree, like, the, the keys or whatever. She opens the purse, and God's light comes shooting out of it and, sh- and she like, shines onto what they need to get. Yes, yes. And I was like, so what the frick does that mean? Like, because this book totally has, like, Christian themes. I think it has, like, I don't know, because if it's being censored, what does that even mean? Is it a realistic view of, like, it's not anti-Christian. I think it's more just that the people, that there's conflicting views in the book. So, like, yeah, one family is Christian and, and she's not and her family isn't. So, because of that, you're getting um, any, you're getting, like, shreds of doubt. And uh, you're getting like Leslie being like, well, I don't believe in that or whatever. Yeah. So is that enough? That's enough for like certain communities to censor it. Just like that simple difference in opinion, I guess. I mean, like evangelical communities, like crazy parents, like it doesn't take much. It's it's just so funny because it's like, you know, you're surrounded by people like that every day. Like Banning yeah. a book that has an atheist in it is not going to stop your child from knowing about what an atheist it. is. Right. Yeah. So totally. like, it's just very stupid. Regarding the, uh, you were like, what does this mean? I just wrote down that it just feels like they're tripping balls in the woods like every day. <laughs> well, yeah, like they, these children are like taking ayahuasca in the woods yeah. and they're like having a spiritual experience out there and it's uh, honestly during some of those scenes I would just think of like how funny it would be if they put like a third camera out there and it's just like what it actually looks like which is just that would be that would be cool I think yeah I I kind of would appreciate that but it's not as fun for the kids but I think that would be more fun for older viewers yeah I Um, agree because like when you're really into a good flow of imaginary playing, like when you are young enough to be able to do it well, yes. it does feel that real. Like it, you yeah. can get to that state, but it's like a state that you cannot reach after a certain age. Right. Um, and they're like 13, 14. Yeah. But they're on, they're on like ayahuasca the, level <laughs> imagination. They're the it's late cause, bloomers. It's because they're keeping their minds wide open. <laughs> we can't forget about that. To all the possibilities. <laughs> um, so what really got you in this movie? I think it was the moment where it literally, it's not like it really got me. Like, I'm easy to get, as we have discussed. It's its not a hard bar to clear. Yeah. <laughs> like, um, I think it was just when they were walking up to the house and then they talked to the parents. I think yeah. that was it. And that, that's not even a particularly sad moment. Like, they're not really hitting you over the head with it. But I do feel like it, it kind of more accurately portrayed funerals than like most things do because a lot of times when there's like an unexpected death, people can't, their emotions cannot catch up to the shock of what has happened. So a lot of times like 
they might not be sobbing at the funeral or it might take them a while to actually catch up with it. The fact that like the parents weren't crying, like Jess wasn't crying, but all the, it was all there. I don't know. I thought it I thought they did a good job with that scene. Yeah. I was going to say the same thing that it does feel like a realistic depiction of funerals, especially because like we have attended a decent amount of like tragic death funerals. They really hit in quite a specific way. And I do feel like this was accurate to that. Oh, and and when he when the dad says like Leslie didn't have friends at her last school, like you're the best friend she ever had, I was like, oh my god, <laughs> I can't. <do> <laughs> okay, I'm gonna be real with you though. I don't give a shit about this movie. I knew you were coming to that, but well, we don't have deep nostalgia for it. Like I don't. Yeah, I wouldn't put it in like my top. 15 or something. Yeah. But I think it's well made. I think it's well directed. I think the adaptation's pretty good. I c- would assume that it's a pretty decent adaptation considering her son was on that team. I don't know. I think th- there's not that many ch- movies for children that depict death of a child. Yeah, death like, of a peer. Yeah, that's a hard thing to do uh, and to like get people to like put millions of dollars behind. So that's impressive. Yeah. And I mean, that connects to the fact that everyone and their brother, mother, sister has read this book. And so it's like relatively, you know, it's not that challenging to get someone to finance it just because it is so well known. Yeah. I, I guess that this must be the best literary execution of a child peer death that there is to mass distribute to the school children of America. Yeah, yeah. Because, yeah. I mean, you have to be able to check a lot of boxes um, in terms of not going too far on certain things for it to be rated PG still. Yeah. Um, like, that is it's kind of a feat. So, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I can't complain. I think it's a sweet film. I think it's predictable. And You predicted that she's going to die. <laughs> no. Okay, like, for example, <laughs> at the beginning where the little girl was like, I'm planting my flowers. I was like, okay, when Leslie dies, the flowers are going to bloom and it's yeah, going to be yeah. there. And then that happens. It's just stuff like that. It is totally fine. <laughs> that is how I feel about it. I'm sorry. Hannah, you didn't keep your mind open enough. I did not keep my mind <laughs> wide open. I, I kept it like slightly ajar, but not maybe, wide open. Maybe you just aren't ready to receive the material. <laughs> maybe I need to do drugs and then watch it. Ayahuasca. Do, yeah, you need to do ayahuasca and then watch this. And, I think and that's the solution. Let your deepest... Let my fantasies unwind. Uh, <laughs> I don't even know how to finish that <laughs> sentence. <laughs> Let your feelings out. <laughs> wow. All right. Well, I'll keep that one in mind as I progress through my adult life. And any last words? My last note was, is being really sad the same as being really good? What makes it nuanced enough to be good and not just like trauma porn because the I mean there are a lot of movies that are known for how sad they are and how good they are like Titanic for example um I was thinking the same thing or the the notebook less so though that one's less lauded for being like a uh, amazing cinema but it still is like it still counts like that that's a question that's hard to answer because a lot of a lot of people who don't spend time critiquing media will interpret a strong emotional reaction as this is very affecting and therefore good. And sometimes that can feel really cheap, though. I think there are way worse examples of that than this movie, but yeah. there's also way better examples, too. So it, I think, yeah, maybe it just does kind of fall in the middle because they didn't they couldn't be overly offensive in, like, any particular way. Like, it definitely, if they had pushed it any further, it would have been PG-13. I'm kind of surprised it's not, but I they yeah. needed to make sure it wasn't because the book really, it does apply to younger than 13. All right, well, we crossed the bridge. We kept our minds at least a little bit open. And, Audrey, <laughs> it's that time. Also, next week's episode, very exciting. Yes, TV agreed. episode. 
take a guess. Maybe you'll be right. Okay, anyway. (laughs) (laughs) You can find more from us at evergreenpodcast.com slash sleepover dash cinema and keep up with our latest creative projects at twopingproductions.com. We're on Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, and YouTube at sleepover cinema and post a full video version of each episode on YouTube every Thursday. You can follow me, Audrey, at Audriana Leach on everything. And you can follow me, Hannah, at Hannah Ray Leach on everything. And please join our Discord server at the link in the episode description or on evergreenpodcasts.com. You can check out our merch at twopingproductions.com slash shop. Period. And if you are looking to keep your mind <laughs> wide open, share the show with a friend, leave us a review. Do whatever your heart pleases, but we appreciate your support as always. And yeah, leave us a review, guys, because guess what? We can't just go on forever without knowing that you're listening. (laughs) (laughs) She's not wrong. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, we only have like 107, I think, uh, Spotify reviews. So if you're listening to this on Spotify, come on now. <laughs> That's it's not hard. It's not hard. <laughs> Sleepover Cinema is a production of Evergreen <laughs> Podcast. Produced, edited, and engineered by us, Hannah and Audrey Leach. Sleepover Cinema is mixed by Sean Roll Hoffman with theme music by Josh Perlman Hall. Executive producer is Michael D'Aloya. You've got to keep your mind wide open. It's all the possibilities. <laughs> That's literally how she sings it. And then I don't know uh, what I don't know what happens after that until possibilities. <laughs> Believe in what you think. See? I even I don't even know. <laughs> Me neither. Dream? Drink. Got, I got nothing. <laughs> Same. <laughs> okay, bye. Bye. My name is Cindy Burnett, and each week I interview at least two traditionally published authors on my podcast, Thoughts from a Page. We talk spoiler-free about their books, so you can listen whether you have read the book or not. And then we delve into things that you most likely won't hear about anywhere else. The importance of the cover design, why they included various aspects of the story, personal details about both the books and the author's lives, and so much more. You can find the podcast on every major platform and learn more about it on my website, thoughtsfromapage.com. Thanks so much for checking it out. This podcast was produced with the support of the Ohio Motion Picture Tax Credit and in partnership with the Ohio Development Services Agency.